Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froke, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Zagowski. And today, it is Jen Allen Nuth from the one and only Lavender. Nick, why should people listen? Jen talks about how seeking and soliciting and facilitating disagreement between all of the stakeholders on your prospects end is actually a good thing and why you should be spending a bulk of your time in that big group meeting doing that. And then she also talks about this concept of healthy tension with the customer where you might actually break some rapport to further progress and move your sale. And so she's an expert in those things. This one was a really solid episode. I disagree. Oh! Well, there's some healthy tension, but unfortunately, folks, this was one of the best ones ever. Three, two, one. Enjoy the show. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. This actionable tactic on selling to power is sponsored by SalesLoft. Don't start from zero when a champion introduces you to power. Explain the three to four priorities you learn from the champion, but then ask them to validate what's really important to them or what we missed. And we partnered with SalesLoft to give you a whole bunch of talk tracks on selling to power. The link is in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. All right, Jen, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Okay, let's do it. Tactic number one, different stakeholders in the buying group are going to have different points of view on which problems are most important to solve. So when we get out of that first call with our potential champion, we have to resist the urge to arm them to go and talk about our solution to a bunch of people who may not have agreement on the problem itself. So the way I get around that is I reduce the effort for my champion and offer to write an email that simply lays out that this will be a buying group conversation on the problem, not the solution. How do I do that? First, 
talk about the problem that the champion has surfaced. What is it that they are trying to achieve? What makes that hard? Second, outline the overall objective for that business. What does end state look like? What does good look like? And then third, state our credibility. Basically show that we've had conversations on this problem with other executives and other businesses who are trying to achieve similar outcomes. Boom. What's number two? Number two, once we land that group meeting, it's very easy to walk into a setting where we feel like an offense-defense dynamic, where I'm the salesperson and they're expecting me to pitch them or convince them to buy something. So how I break that up is when I open up the meeting, I'll label the objective for the time is not to make a decision on the solution, but rather to help them arrive at a shared understanding of the problem that they're looking to solve and what might be behind it or driving it. Second, what I'll do in that opening is I will actually say out loud, if we get to the end of this time together and we decide that this is not the right problem for us to be solving right now, that is a completely acceptable outcome for this meeting. Very nice. Round us out. What's number three, Jen? Number three. This goes against everything I ever learned, but I found this to be really helpful when I was selling deals at Challenger and now here at Lavender, which is instead of walking into that meeting trying to seek agreement walk into that meeting, helping them surface disagreement. So what I mean by that is we have a very one-way understanding of a champion's perspective of the problem. When we have a buying group that may be three, five, 10, 11, 20 people, not everybody is gonna look at the problem the same way. So we hold up our problem statement as voiced by our champion, and then we open up the floor to actively prompt them to say, Who has a different opinion on this problem? Who looks at this in a different way? How does this compare to other priorities that you're focused on right now? And by doing so, we actually get the real story behind what people typically say behind closed doors. And it allows us to learn and get access to information that typically happens after we hang up the phone call. Alrighty, folks. So if you haven't been able to tell, we're clearly going to be tearing down the group meeting today, or as I call it, the big team meeting. If you don't know what that group meeting is, Jen, could you briefly define what is the group meeting and when does it typically happen in a sales cycle? Yes. So many people who've been selling really high capital, large investment solutions have been dealing with group meetings for years. But one of the things that's happening is as companies are getting far more cost conscious, they're inviting more people to weigh in on a decision. And so as a result, it is rarely just one person anymore making that decision. Oftentimes they're having group meetings without us. Ideally, we want them having group meetings with us. So this typically comes after you've had a conversation with your individual champion or individual stakeholder where they're bringing together everyone who could say yes and everybody who could say no. You just uncovered for me, like actually one of the big areas of risk in a deal is when that big group meeting happens because it's happening and you are not in the room. Let's actually go to before that meeting even happens. You're having conversations back and forth with your champion. How are you teeing things up to make sure that you do get invited to that meeting? Yeah. So this is a place where I think it requires a little bit of confidence and it also requires a little bit of what we used to call a challenger commercial coaching. So commercial coaching is simply helping your buyer understand and anticipate where deals go off the rails. So if I have a champion, if I have someone who's like, let's go, I want to buy lavender. I want to do this. They are guns blazing, ready to go 
right? And so we almost have to slow them down. And the way that I typically slow them down is I'll say, look, I've worked with a few other executives who've had just as much fire and passion as you do. They took that fire and passion, they went to the buying group and they pitched them on how cheap this solution was to solve this big problem. And what they came back with was, now is not the time, we're not buying tech, we're not investing in any external tools. And to recover from that is almost near impossible. So I want you to have this as much as you do, but in order to do that, let me help you think through what are the right next steps so that we get everybody to look at the problem in the way that you do so that everybody is as excited as you are to hear about that solution. So let's walk through this one more time. So you're having this conversation with your champion and you're basically selling them on why it's in their best interest to include you in that big group meeting. If you have it perfectly your way, what happens from that point on? You mentioned an email that you're sending. Are there other things that are happening on the customer side or on your side before that meeting occurs? Yeah. So there's a few things. So I think we all do our basic prep, right? Like we're all looking up who are the roles and responsibilities in the room. Have they used us? Where did they come from? That's kind of cookie cutter stuff I would expect everybody is doing. There are a few things that I like to do that are above and beyond that. So one of my favorite questions, I learned this from a client, is to ask our champion, who is the Mr. Rogers in the room? So the Mr. Rogers or Mrs. Rogers, to be fair, is that person who sits on these group calls, on these Zooms, nods their head and smiles the entire time. And we think, man, we've got them. They're on our side. I'm counting up my votes and we've got them. But the reality is they do that with every vendor because they're just nice people. If I don't know that and my champion doesn't know that, there's a signal there that they may not have made other purchases before. So that's something I'd want to know. I'd also want to know for my champion, who is most likely to be skeptical of prioritizing this problem and why? It might not be that they disagree it's a problem, but they might have a special pet project that they're really gunning for. If I don't know that, if my champion doesn't know that, that's going to surface in that meeting. And then to win, quote unquote win, I'm going to have to deflate that priority in the moment when in reality, what I want to do is attach to it and show them a different entry path as to how this is going to help with that. That's really hard to do in the moment if we're just learning these things in the group call, which is why I believe really strongly that in advance of that call, we need to be asking these questions of our champion to get really, really clear and have a great game plan going in. So let's say, for example, that we're selling something like lavender. We have our Mr. or Mrs. Rogers over here. Maybe we have a <laughs> Mr. or Mrs. Smith over here. I'm curious, Jen, if you start to hear from your prospect or your champion, I want Mr. Or Mrs. Rogers, Mr. Or Mrs. Smith, there are 17 kids, the dog, these five other people on the call as well. <laughs> what do you do when they start to say, I want to invite the entire company? I basically want you to sell at our company all hands. What do you do in that situation? <laughs> I've never had that happen, but I've... Gosh, I, I would live for the day. The worst I've ever had it was 22 people on a call. There is not a necessarily a number cutoff that I have in my mind. When I'm evaluating it, I'm saying, are these people affected by the disruption that presents by implementing in our solution? If they are, I'm okay with them joining, right? Because they're going to have a voice in the matter at some point. But having a super tight, clear understanding of the problem is incredibly important. So the way I get out of a herding cats moment or what does everybody think the problem is, which is how I grew up learning how to sell, is ask every individual what they think, is I will throw up a problem statement on a one piece of paper or one slide, and I will say, here is the problem as it's been articulated to me, 
the cost of that problem that we may be underappreciating, that's kind of cost of inaction, and alternatives that we have discussed, us being one of them, but a few others as well. And that will be my framing of the discussion. That way it allows me to ask very pointed questions. So John, you're in CS. We're over here talking about new logo acquisition. I imagine retention is probably far more important for you. Where would you disagree with this relative priority? And in that way, you can help people give very clear answers and keep the conversation on track so that you're not losing control of the audience, which I think, Armand, is the the bigger fear when you've got that many people on one call. Jen, I want to ask you about this alternatives piece because I know there are times I'm putting together a sort of similar deck where I'm like, here's what I've heard, here's the implications, et cetera. And there might be times that I'm putting that deck together and I realize, oh, wow, I haven't discussed the alternatives at all. And so what do I do? Put 30 MPC or or do nothing? Like, I guess this is a two-part <laughs> question. One, can you talk to me about how you are discussing potential alternatives to buying your thing with your champion? And then two, what you might do if you realize you're missing a critical thing like that in the day or two leading up to that meeting? Oh, I love this question. I've made that mistake a million times. It's just we get excited, right? We think there's an opportunity and we start running with it. So I think you brought it back to exactly where it needs to be. In that call with the champion, we have to be responsible for asking the question, what else outside of Lavender have you considered to solve this problem? So if I'm talking to a prospect today selling Lavender and they're coming in saying, we have terrible reply rates and we're not booking enough meetings... Lavender is one option to help solve that problem, but they might buy training. They might hire more SDRs. They might buy a sales engagement platform. There's a ton of other things. So I will give them some options, which I think helps show credibility. If I'm talking to someone and they know what else can be done, that immediately sets off the alarm. This is not their first rodeo, right? So that's really important for establishing credibility. I will prompt them, but then I will say, what else have I missed? What else have you talked about? What else have you tried that flat out didn't work that got us here today? And that context, when I bring that into the meeting, what I want it to feel like is I am almost part of that team, not a sales rep pushing on them. But if I can say, hey, I know last year you tried buying a sales engagement platform, hoping that sending more emails would help. And what you found was it didn't. Does anybody disagree with that? It's just constant probing and prompting for people to weigh in on the problem without it all talking about our solution just yet. I'm curious, how long are you running this thing? Are you just letting them fight it out for 45 minutes to the death? Is there a point or a stopping point that you're looking for where it's like, okay, this is it? How long do I run this thing until I can say, okay, we're transitioning to the next point in the call? Yes. I'd love to give you a time limit, but again, it sort of depends on the nature of the conversation, but there are two tactics that I use. So one is the parking lot. And I'll actually say this out loud. So sometimes you get a really good point has nothing to do with the topic of the conversation and it has the potential to totally derail it. So as the facilitator of that conversation, I will call out and say, great idea. It's important we come back to this later. But for now, allow me to write that in the parking lot. I will send the parking lot notes to the team because I think it's really important that we address it. What you don't want to feel is that you are dismissing someone, right? Because that's a great way to alienate your audience. So the parking lot's really effective for that. Second thing is, if you find that there is a impasse between the audience, it is often because we do not have data to make a decision. And what we see is that people are fighting over opinions. So it's our job as the salesperson to identify that, label it, and take control again of the conversation to say, what I'm observing is someone on the outside 
is that we have some very strongly held beliefs about this problem in our current state, but I haven't heard anything yet today that validates that with actual data. So with your permission, where I think we might be able to have a more productive conversation is if Mary, sales ops, I work with you to gather insight on how much our retention problem is costing us versus how much our net new logo problem is costing us. That actually happened in a meeting that I had with 22 stakeholders. There was just complete disagreement as to whether retention or new logo was more important. They weren't going to invest in a solution to get more new logos if half of the buying group thought it was a retention challenge. And so by labeling that, assigning ownership, and then again, establishing our next step will be next Wednesday, we're going to come back together again, we're going to look at the data, we're going to see how that changes our perspectives. Jen, what you did there was really interesting. What you're doing is you're getting the people who normally show up on this big group call, and they expect to be talked at for 45 minutes. And you're actually saying, I want you all to be talking about this. Because I think something that salespeople underappreciate is the fact that your stakeholders don't actually talk very much about this stuff. They've got so many other things going on. This might be the first time that they're actually having a discussion around, should we be solving this issue here? And you're taking the role of the facilitator and saying, nope, I'm not pitching, I'm not selling, I'm facilitating conversation. And one of the things that you did there, you talked about, you said, hey, it sounds like we're sort of at an impasse, like, We have strongly held beliefs on both sides. We should go look at the data. You're sort of summarizing the state of where that discussion is, which is something a conversation facilitator does. I'm wondering if you can share some of the other conversational facilitation tools that you use to solicit disagreement, get people who aren't talking, talking, maybe even deal with someone who might have a technical issue and is only chatting in the chat. Talk to me about what you're doing to really play that facilitator role. I can tell from the way you asked that question, you have seen all of those scenarios before, and so have I. So I think one of the most effective tactics is anybody who is silent, I always assume that they are in the blocker category or the anti-category. And if we let them sit silent, it is more comfortable for us. It's worse for our outcome. And so one of the tactics I will use is something called prompting. And prompting is simply signaling to an attendee to say, I would like your input on this. It is a really effective way to bring in those stakeholders who are just staying silent. Sometimes they're silent because they're multitasking. Sometimes they're silent because they're frustrated with the entire conversation. If we do not prompt them, they will continue to stay silent. So I've had, for example, in that call with 22 people, it was primarily sales leaders. And then it was a very small group of HR and then some enablement and ops. The ops person was completely silent. And the vibe I was getting is like, this person has seen this argument multiple times before. So I actually asked the question. I said, John, you seem a little bit quiet on this conversation. I'm curious, do you have a strong opinion one way or another? I heard Mary talk about this. I've heard Sally talk about this. But as the person over ops... I bet you have more visibility into the data than anyone on this conversation, right? And so I'm making it safe for them to speak up. I'm trying to take their role or my assumption of their role and signal where specifically they can add value in the context of the conversation. And it's always very surprising. Oftentimes, the people who aren't speaking the most have the most valuable things to say, but they're used to being talked over in meetings. So that's one that I personally really like is actually signaling out that person who's really, really quiet because 
Sometimes they're the loudest people after the call hangs up. So I want to talk about the inverse of this problem. Sometimes you'll get technical people at the call who are pulling you into the weeds and they're going into a deep level of granularity. And then next thing you know, the angry CRO is clearly multitasking or on their phone because you're talking about Salesforce reports or clicks or dashboards <laughs> and stuff like that. So can you talk about tactics that you use to keep the conversation at a level of altitude that is appropriate for the room? Yes. Oh my gosh. I've been on the same sales calls you have clearly. So one thing I'm always very mindful of is I never want to embarrass anyone. I think the worst possible thing we can do is minimize someone because their role is more junior. Because at some point in the deal, their voice may really, really matter and we've burned that bridge. And so there's two things that I will do. I will always, in the framing of the conversation when we talk about the problem, I will reinforce that while there are a lot of things we can discuss about the problem, here's specifically what we're looking to get agreement upon. If I'm diligent about doing that in the beginning of the call, what it does is it allows me to come back to that later in the conversation. So John, really appreciate you sharing that context. I think this is going to be really helpful as we consider our implementation plan. However, for the purpose of today, our job is to decide, is new logo acquisition the number one problem to solve? So if it's okay with you, I'm going to put that in the parking lot. We will come back to it in a different conversation. You want them to feel seen, heard, understood, not dismissed. The second tactic is I will actually position it as a reason for a one-off call afterwards. So John, I can tell you have got a ton of passion about where this process is broken right now. Candidly, I think it'd be really helpful for me to better understand that. But given that we've got a lot of different voices on the call today, would it be okay if you and I take that on a one-off call so I can really understand your perspective since you're very close to it? That conversation is going to be valuable. It's just not the right time and place. So it gives us another multi-threaded opportunity, but it allows us to regain control of the conversation without being disrespectful. I want to talk about the SWATs that you get on your unconventional way that you are starting your meetings where I'm thinking about a world where you get on, right? And you've got a VP of sales, a CRO, and a couple high-level directors. And you show up and you say, you know, the purpose of today is to not talk about Lavender at all. It's to talk about agreement on the problem. And the problem, as I understand it today, is new logo acquisition. Is that the number one thing? And they're like, of course, we need new revenue. Talk to me about how Lavender can help. What do you do when you get people that want to rush past that piece? Because it seems like that problem might be so obvious. Mm hmm. So typically that is because the person who is saying that has already decided it's their problem. They don't represent the voice of the broader group, right, which is the inherent problem with getting carried away with one person who likes our solution. So I actually had this happen in this deal that I was talking about with 22 stakeholders. The woman I was working with was in L&D and in enablement. And she was like, I don't want to talk about the problem. We've been talking about the problem for six months. I just want them to see the solution because I know this is the right solution. And so in my experience, what I find helpful is to say, we will get there. I promise you. And we'll get there in call number one. We will. But here's what happens when we fail to consider everybody else's perspective. You are now going to be marching at this solution and it's going to take you six, seven, eight more calls. Trust me, I've seen it before. This just inevitably is going to make your job harder. And so I think we have to be really like there was a skill that I learned from Challenger called constructive tension. Constructive tension is not about being a jerk, but it is standing firm when you know a customer is about to walk themselves right into a pitfall. So I think anytime we can bring context of this is how this has played out before, I've seen this story before, I don't want this to happen to you. As long as our positioning is why it's good for them, not why it's good for me, 
I think that's the key to making that land. The constructive tension thing is so powerful. And it's one of the areas that I think I've changed the most as a seller recently via this podcast is for a long time, I really deeply valued the rapport that I had with this other person. And I was terrified of breaking that rapport, even if that came at the expense of furthering the sale. And if they said to me what this L&D person did, which was, nope, don't talk about the problem, just show them the solution, I would acquiesce to that. I think that's the right word. And show them the solution because I didn't want to break rapport at expense of the sale. And so really powerful what you're talking about. Are there other times that you will weave in this constructive tension in sales process that you lean on? Oh my gosh, I think it is essential right now, right? Constructive tension was one of the skills that came out of that analysis that Challenger did on what makes a high performer a high performer. And that happened in 08, 09, when we had the economic recession. Now we're selling in a very similar environment. And if you think about it, right, we as people, we rarely act to realize a benefit. More often than not, we wait until something is so dang scary or painful that we're like, all right, I have to do something about this. And so constructive tension, I think, is one of those skills where if we're just like, hey, you get a 10 times ROI if you do this. If you do this, you get a 15 times ROI, right? It's very easy for us as humans to kick that out and say, I'll do that in six months. I'm not disagreeing you. It's better than what I'm doing. I'll kick it out for six months. And so constructive tension is really illuminating for that customer and holding up a mirror and saying, I know you don't want to hear this. I don't like saying it. But from everything I've learned in our conversations in that group meeting, here's how much this problem is actually costing your business today. Turning our heads is not going to make it better. And I think that's the kind of accountability that we as salespeople, often I struggle with this, we often shy away from because we feel like we're the bad guys. When in reality, we're focused on the outcome. And as long as that's our guiding light, that's what matters. Okay, Jen. So let's say that we've finally gotten to the end of this group meeting that is largely coming to consensus on a problem, or at least having all the problems on the table. Talk to me about what do you do at the end of this meeting to wrap it up? Yep. So we talked about before what happens if you do not achieve consensus, labeling the stall and recommending a step to solve for that with data. If you are lucky and you end with consensus, The mistake I used to make all the time is assume just because I had a bunch of senior people in the room, we were good to go, so let's talk solution. More often than not, there is always someone who should have been there that wasn't. So the way I wrap the meeting, even if we have consensus, even if people are hungry to hear about the solution, is I'll say, listen, in almost every case of these types of meetings, once we've had this discussion, we can think of one person at least who should have been in the, in the meeting today, but wasn't. So before I recap our updated problem statement, who is that person for you? Not is there that person for you, but who is that person for you? And that way, when I update the written problem summary and send that out, I'm adding that person to it and I'm involving them in that process. I have lost so many deals to people who have told me, Nope, this is the right buying group. And then the CEO came in later and have a different and had a different perspective about priorities. So this is my way for solving for that. I will push them to give me at least one person who should have been there and wasn't. And if they can't think of someone, that's where I'm drawing on my own experience and saying, when I've sold deals of this size or this scope, typically the VP of HR gets involved or the CFO gets involved. So who is that for you? And that again is just coaching them on how to buy. And so you push for one more person. And 
let's say, for example, you get one more person involved. Perhaps you meet with that person. You've added to this pool of problems. At what point are you then coming back with a recommendation? And then what does that look like? Yeah, great question. So I would always, always ask for another group meeting. And if we did our jobs, right? right, Like humans, we love talking about problems. That's why therapy is as big of a business as it is. This should be a really, really enjoyable experience for them because they've got someone on the outside who's helping them think through it, just like when we go to a therapist. So it should not be a big deal to ask for another hour to say, now let's look at, if we didn't get there today, the alternatives for how you might solve it, the pros and cons of each. And what I am prescribing is someone who's worked with other organizations to help them successfully solve for it. What I love about this, and I know it requires patience and we get excited because we finally get the group meeting and we just want to talk about what we do. But what I love about it is in every, every opportunity where I have done this and I've held myself accountable for doing this and starting with problem and then going to solution, the level of criticism and questions about the solution are so few, right? Because you've now earned their trust by showing them you understand that problem. So trust is like this thing that was always talked about in sales. Like you got to earn, well, how do you do it, right? This in my mind is how you earn it. And so I'm seeing way less picking apart the solution because there's a belief there that this person truly understands us. They're going to prescribe us something. Doesn't mean we don't get questions in the next call about the solution, but I'm also able to tailor that solution by saying, remember we talked about this problem? Let's bring it back to how this solution solves for it. So you absolutely need another meeting on that for sure. And the last piece is when you run that meeting, we can't go into all of the details today, but I guess we'll have to record another episode at some point. But when you go (laughs) into that meeting, can you give a high level sense of how you structure and run that big recommendation meeting? Yeah. So this is where I think, again, we need to do our homework in advance. A one page slide that says problem we talked about how we're going to solve for it. Problem we talked about it, how we're going to solve for it. And so I make it just like I did that initial buying group meeting. It's a problem-led solution meeting, which sounds kind of counterintuitive, but I'm starting with the problem backing into here's how the solution is going to fix that. Next problem, here's how it's going to fix that. And that way you're always, always making it about the customer, the buyer, as opposed to leading with what's cool or unique or snazzy. It also helps us structure that time so we're super tight and driven by what that problem statement is for the customer instead of all the fancy widgets and bells and whistles that we might be able to show. Boom. Phenomenal. Jen, we are running out of time. And so we got to move to our final question. And the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. Now I got to ask you about a shouldn't. And so the last question is, what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? Uh, I love this question because it's an easy answer for me. It is leading with ROI in our outreach, right? When we lead with how much better life is when you buy us, we neglect the fact that people know things are going to be better. People know their processes suck. They know it's hard. ROI is a promise of if you do something, good things will happen. But what it neglects is what happens if you do nothing? Is good good enough? So my big, big belief here is we've got to help them understand the cost of doing nothing before we ever introduce the upside of doing something. And that starts with our initial outreach, the cold emails, the cold calls we make. Phenomenal. Jen, thank you for joining us. And everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. 
Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by Rocket Reach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Jen Allen include number one, start by aligning on the problem. And if your prospect doesn't want to start by aligning on the problem in the big team meeting, you need to explain to them that their view of the problem and solution is probably different from other people's view. And if you want to solve your problem, you got to start with it. Number two, the big team meeting. What you're going to present at the beginning of it is the problem that you believe they have, the cost of inaction, and the alternatives, which include you. Number three, call out the people during that meeting who are being quiet and not voicing their perspective on the problem. If it's a revenue problem, call out sales, CS, and marketing, and make sure all three voices are represented. And then lastly, number four, even if there is consensus here, get one more person involved in the deal cycle before making a solution recommendation. Alrighty, Nick, how can people help us out here? Well, if you didn't know, Jen works at one of our wonderful supporters, Lavender. And I'd like to be able to go back to the wonderful folks at Lavender and be like, hey, Jen's episode did really, really well. So if you got anything out of this episode with Jen, if you wouldn't mind sending me a note and saying, hey, I really liked the episode with Jen. This was my favorite piece. Please do that. It'll help us show our sponsors the wonderful things that they're doing and working with 30 Minutes to President's Club. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. 
Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes.